This is episode 492 of the Leaving Laodicea broadcast, and my name is Steve McCraney. There are three major judgments in a prophetic timeline of God. There's the sheep and goat judgment, the Bema Seat judgment, and of course the Great White Throne judgment. Some of these judgments take place on earth, and some take place in heaven. But there's only one judgment you should be worried about as a believer in Christ, and that is the Bema Seat judgment of Christ. So what is that judgment, and why is it such a big deal? The Bema Seat judgment of Christ takes place after the rapture of the church and before the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. This judgment does not determine salvation. At this time, believers are rewarded for how faithfully they serve their Lord. Some will receive rewards, and some, of course, will suffer loss and not receive rewards. It'll be a time of great rejoicing for some, and for others, a time of immense sadness, regret, and shame. But it doesn't have to be a time of regret for you. You can change all of that today as we learn how to be well-pleasing to the Lord by leaving Laodicea behind. We've been talking about the kingdom of God. We've been talking about um, rewards and inheritances and stuff of that nature. And I think... uh, I think it would be appropriate for us today to take a step back, especially since we're partaking of the Lord's Supper, and take a look at these judgments of God. There's three major judgments of God on his timetable. Um, one takes place on earth, one takes place in heaven, and the other one takes place right before the new heaven and new earth. It's kind of a hybrid judgment. Some of those judgments we need to be concerned about, really only one. Some of those judgments will not be judged at all because Jesus has paid the penalty for our sins. And um, one of those judgments won't even involve us because if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be raptured before the tribulation period comes. The three judgments we're talking about are the sheep and goat judgments, judgment that we're going to look at just very briefly, the Bema Seed judgment, which is the one that concerns us, which is the one that that we need to be most aware of. And of course, the great white throne judgment, which is your name written in the Lamb's book of life and and that kind of judgment where we have nothing to worry about there because of what Christ has already done for us. Sheep and goats judgment. What do we know about that? Jesus refers to that in the book of Matthew. It's also in the scripture called the judgment of nations. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 25. You can also see possibly where this takes place in the last few verses of Daniel. If you remember, the Great Tribulation is 1,260 days. Uh, Time, times, and half times, 42 months, three and a half years, is the most documented time in Scripture. But at the end of Daniel, it talks about an extra 30 days and an extra 45 days. Blessed is he who endures another 30 days and another 45 days of 75 days total before I guess the millennial reign begins, and there's been a lot of question about what happens during that time, a cleansing of the temple during the first 30 days. The last 45 days, scholars believe that this will be the sheep and goat judgment. In this particular judgment, it'll be determined who will enter the tribulation period. I mean, the the millennial reign of Christ. There will be people that will survive the, uh, the tribulation, the great tribulation. There will be saved people who get saved during the tribulation period. A lot of Jews that uh, 
weren't killed by the Antichrist and whose, uh, whose blood is not crying out for them from the altar. There will be some lost people who actually physically survive as it does with any cataclysmic event. These people will enter into the millennial reign in the same bodies that you and I have now, some saved, some not saved, and the sheep and goat judgment basically determines who will enter into the millennial reign. And if you'll read the Matthew passage, it appears that those that are righteous will save, those that aren't won't. They'll be going ahead and cast into eternal darkness. It takes place between the great tribulation and the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ, the kingdom we've been talking about. Then you have this Bema seat judgment. This judgment takes place in heaven. This judgment takes place after the, uh, the rapture of the church, probably almost immediately after the rapture of the church, is believed that is, is the precursor or a judgment based on works that determines whether or not you will be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We kind of think that everybody gets to go, and you'll, we'll find more in Scripture that there are certain requirements to those people who are invited, like there are requirements in our world. We just don't invite everybody to the wedding. We have certain guests that we invite, people that are close to us, people that we want to honor, people that have been friends to us, people that are, are faithful. And then you know, we see in Scripture that we've talked a little bit about it, that there is a reward that comes from faithfulness and a loss of reward that comes from non-faithfulness. This is not a judgment of condemnation. In other words, you're not condemned for what you didn't do, but we are rewarded for what we did do. And the rewards may be profound. We've always thought, well, you get a crown. Okay, we all get crowns. And, you know, I really don't want to wear a crown because I look like the Burger King guy. So what am I going to do with the crown? Uh, oh, I'm just going to throw it at Jesus anyway. So I don't get to wear it that long. So nobody gets to tell me how cool I am because I had the crown because after all, it's all about me. And so if I'm going to get a crown and I got to work really hard and not do the things that I want to do here on earth and live sanctified life for Christ just to get a crown that I can't keep and don't have bragging rights and throw it at the feet of Jesus. What's the point? The rewards may be infinitely greater than a crown. It may be being invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It will be whether you rule and reign with Christ, whether you enter the kingdom or are an heir of the kingdom. And some of the problems I know in my own life that I've struggled with is the world is so full of stuff that demands my attention, that it's really hard to focus on things that are going to happen after I'm gone. But a wise man would consider how short this life is and how important to us it is to prepare for the next life. Then there's the great white throne judgment. This is the big judgment. This is the one that we always think about. Uh, his name is not written in the book of, of um life, Lord, and cast into hell. And this is where every sin would be exposed and every eye will see. And this is where every knee will bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. Your sins won't. My sins won't because they've been covered by the blood of Christ, but the lost will. And it's a, uh, it takes place after the millennial reign and right before the new heaven and new earth. It is the final judgment of not only the men, lost men, but also the final judgment of Satan, the false prophet, the Antichrist, fallen demons, everything. And we find this in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 15. So turn to that. Let's just read this so you can get a, a feel for this judgment. 
Revelation chapter 20. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, so that we're not confused, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He is bound during the millennial reign of Christ, or at least during the vast majority of it. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till. So he deceives them no more up until a particular time, till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while, for a little time, towards the end of the millennial reign, where people have multiplied and they've had kids and grandkids and generations have gone on and Satan's been bound. There still will be a vast segment of people who will still reject Christ during the millennial reign. Satan will be released towards the end of that. Verse four, and I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their forehead or their hand. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. There are two groups of believers here. There are the believers that were raptured prior to the tribulation. Then there are the group of believers who became believers during the tribulation and paid the ultimate martyr's price for them. Then they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. We will talk more about this in detail later. But the rest of the um, blessed and holy is he, verse 6, who has part of the first resurrection, over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. And instead of bowing on his knee in repentance to the Lord, he will go out and deceive the nations who are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for battle. And their number is as the sand of the sea. It's almost like Armageddon 2.0. And they, they went up from the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in their beloved city, Jerusalem. And there's no battle here. Fire came out from heaven and devoured them. Gone. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophets are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne. This is the great white throne judgment. And him who sat on it and from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was no and, and, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. By the way, is the same judgment you and I will receive at the Bema seat. By the things which are written in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead that were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works, twice in two verses. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Then you had the new heaven and new earth and heaven proper, and the rest of the book becomes absolutely joyful. 
That is the great white throne judgment. But the judgment that we need to be concerned about that is on our calendar is called the Bema Seat Judgment. The Bema Seat Judgment takes place right after the rapture. They're absent from the body, present with the Lord. As soon as the rapture takes place, we face a judgment. This is not a judgment that determines your salvation. If you weren't saved, you wouldn't be raptured. Your salvation is determined by the sovereign choice of God coupled with your faith and your repentance that brought you into a vibrant living relationship with him. What is judged is what you have done with Christ. If you remember in Romans chapter 8, it laid out for us this, this continuum of salvation based on God's work. For all those he foreknew, his job, he predestined, his job. For all those he predestined, he called, his job. For all those that he called, he justified, his job. For all those he justified, he glorified, way out here. And the difference between justification and glorification is what we do with Christ. It's called sanctification. It's how we have lived either faithfully or non-faithfully, where we've been a well-pleasing servant to him or not. It's all those verses in Scripture that have the you attached to them. You walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. You lay your life down as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him. You pray without ceasing. You do all these things because we're now empowered by Christ and we bring glory to him during the sanctification period between these two sovereign acts of God, justification and glorification. That is what will be judged, not your salvation, but basically what we have done with Christ. It is a time of great reward. And it is a time the scripture talks about where Christians like you and I will suffer loss. Some will receive a reward, such as being invited into the marriage supper of the Lamb, such as maybe ruling and reigning with Christ during the millennial reign, such as, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful with this. I will reward you with this. And obviously, some won't be rewarded because they didn't care, because they were too busy making money. They were too busy having fun in this life. They were too busy not being the light in darkness that he called us to be, because if we are, then the darkness won't like us anymore, that we made our home here, that we love the world and the things of the world. And Jesus says when we do that, we make ourselves an enemy of God. The great thing about this judgment is how this judgment goes for us is totally up to us. Totally. Totally. Being invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, we decide that now. Ruling and reigning with Christ at whatever level that is that he sovereignly decides, we decide that now. It all depends on how much we love the fallen things of this world or love him. Do we follow his word? Do we live according to the spirit? Do we do the things that please him? Or do we just call our own shots, do it our own way? And it is especially hard for Christians living in the Laodicean church age because, again, in our DNA at this time, it's all about us. We choose. We're in charge. The people choose. At this judgment, this is not heaven proper where there's no tears, no pain, no suffering. And this judgment, there will be great rejoicing and there will be immense sadness and regret and shame. 
gosh, I had an opportunity to be able to be commended by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and my Savior, but instead I was too concerned about what my husband thought or my wife thought or my friends thought or how it was going to affect me financially or, or whether or not I'd be able to do the fun things that I want to do and I didn't want people to look down on me and I'm just too busy to be about the things of Christ. Shame and regret. None of us need to, none of us need to suffer that at the Bema seat. Let me just give you three verses here that talk about that. And then I'm gonna share with you some things that really quickly that may be judged at the Bema seat of Christ. And then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. First Corinthians chapter three, verse 12 and following. Here's what it says here. Now, if anyone, now Paul's talking about building on a foundation previous to this and you know, I, I, someone planted and I watered, but the foundation we're talking about is always Christ. We're building on the foundation of Christ, Christ who lives in us. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, if you read this in context, the foundation is Christ. And he lists for us six items in which we build with from decreasing value from the greatest to the least. Gold, if you build on it with gold or silver, are diamonds and rubies, or things that aren't of much value, like wood and even less hay or straw. Here's the choice we have. We're building on what Christ has placed in us, and we're building on it with the best we have, and it shows the decreasing amount in that, or the worst that we have, and it shows even a decreasing amount of that. You know, if anyone builds on this foundation of Christ, with gold, silver, precious stone, or implied wood, hay, and straw. Each one's work, each one's life, each one's duty, each one, what you have done with Christ will become clear. Everybody will know, and you will know at the Bema seat. It means to shine, to make manifest. It will become evident can't hide behind what other people think we are. This is one of those deals where everybody will know who you are. Everybody will know who your Lord is, whether it's money or fame or pleasure or your family or whatever it is, or whether it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone will know. You will know. And when will that happen? It will become clear on that day on that day of judgment, because that day will declare it or to make it known. Why? Because it, the work, will be revealed, and this means to remove a veil or covering. In other words, something is hidden, and now all of a sudden it's taken off, and everybody are able to see us as we truly are. It will be revealed by fire. Well, you use fire to purify gold and silver, really doesn't have much effect on precious stone, but fire absolutely consumes wood, hay, and straw. It consumes straw the quickest and hay the next and then wood final. But nevertheless, it's the fire will determine whether or not what we have done with our life endures the judging, the piercing, the penetrating gaze of fire by our Lord saying, I gave everything for you. What have you done for me? Well, I, you know, I'm, 
I wasn't as bad as I used to be, but I didn't want to be any more like you because then it would cost me something. And maybe some of us could, uh, could quote my father, the lost guy who spent all his life in church, saying, well, Jesus, before I got saved, which, by the way, he never did, before I got saved, I was like 90% bad and 10% good, but since you saved me, now I'm 85% good, but God lets me have that 15%. Really? Really? If any of them builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work, each one's life will become clear, become evident whether it stands the test of fire. For that day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work. And the word test means to prove, to see whether it's worthy or not, whether Christ is honored by that of what sort it is. Is it a work based on a life lived for his glory or is it a life lived for your glory? Just asking him to season it. Next two verses. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, this word is the same word translated abide. If it remains, if it dwells, if it lives, he will receive a reward. Wow. What if my work is burned up? Will I be condemned? No, but you will suffer loss of reward. And your birthright and your inheritance and what has been provided for you by the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not receive because you cared more about you and this world than him. But he himself will be saved. It's not a salvation thing. You're still going to heaven, but suffering loss as yet though through fire. This is not about salvation, but it's about receiving rewards or suffering loss of rewards for what we have done or not done for our king, for our king. Now this, by the way, if you think, well, that seems kind of hard. Why? Every business runs this way. Every family runs this way. Hey, I'm going to... Um, I'm going to give you some chores to do. And if you'll do these chores, I'll take you to Walmart and buy you something. Okay. One kid does chores. One kid doesn't. So what do you do? Take them both there and buy them toys? Then what you've told the kid who worked is I really shouldn't work. And what the kid that didn't work, that you lied. When it comes to, to business, you have two employees or a group of employees. I will give raises to the ones who do what I ask them to do. The ones that don't will not get raises and maybe even get fired. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10 speaks of the same judgment. Therefore, we make it our aim. The word make here means to work hard, to labor. We make it our aim, our ambition is what we're aspiring to as human beings. We make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, to be acceptable to him, to be what he wants us to be, what he recognizes, what he approves of. Not acceptable to me, not acceptable to my family or the culture or anything else, but acceptable to him. Well, why would you spend your life doing that? Why would you make that your ambition? Why wouldn't you make your ambition to make a million dollars or make your ambition to you know, have a big business, to make your ambition to be famous on television, to make your ambition being whatever we want our ambition today? Why would you make your ambition to be well-pleasing to him and work and labor 
hard at it because I know the end of the story. I know what's going to happen. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And then everything I've made my ambition to be in this world means nothing because I'm going to stand before my king and I will receive the things done in the body according to what I have done in this life, what my ambition truly was, whether good or bad. I'll receive reward or I will suffer loss of reward. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time. What time is that? Until the Lord comes, who will bring to light, number one, the hidden things of darkness, and number two, what your heart is really like. They receive the counsels of your heart. Then each one's praise will come not from man, but from God. And if so, how important is God's praises to you? Is it important enough to make serving him your ambition? Or is the world calling so much in our ears that we just want to follow its siren call and not follow him? That's the truth. That's the Bema Seed of Christ. There's about eight other verses that talk about that, eight other separate passages that I didn't want to spend so much time on that today. I hope just from those three that you can see that you and I will give an account for the life that we live today. You will give an account for how you spend today. Worse, how you spend tomorrow when you're not in church. What you do when you're alone and nobody knows. What, your, what is your motivation? What you spend most of your time doing? Making my way in the world? You know, speaking from a man's perspective or, or raising my kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Well, I don't have time for that. I'm too busy making money, doing the stuff that I want to do. You will pay a dear price for that. Will you be condemned? No. Will you suffer the loss of reward? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there will be regret. You read stories about people who find out they have terminal cancer and you have six weeks to live. And after they get over the shock of the fact that they only have six weeks to live and they, they come to grips with the fact that their time on earth is limited, you usually find that most of them have regrets. Regrets. Gosh, if I had to do all over again, here's what I would do. I would do this different. I'd spend more time with this. I, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't spend so much time at the office or so much time working in my garden or so much time devoted to me. I, I, I should have spent more time with my kids because that's what I want more than anything right now. Yet I know it's limited and I can't. It's going to be even worse when we have the Lord looking at us like that. So let me put some feet on this for us so that we can kind of understand. Here's some of the things the scripture says that uh, we will be judged for at the Bema Seat of Christ. There's a whole lot more of these. But let's just go with some general ones. Did you feel the Great Commission? Man, that's a command God gave us in Matthew 28. Did you tell other people about Jesus, family members about Jesus, even to the point where they got tired of listening to you and got angry at you and said, will you just leave me alone? Or do we just value our temporal relationship with them so much that we're going to sit back and sadly sail on to hell? God put us on this earth to fulfill his kingdom, to share the great commission of the king. How well did you do that? Well done, good and faithful servant. 
Or, I, 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 Lord, I, I just I wasn't good at that. That's why I gave you the Holy Spirit. I just didn't feel led. Well, then that's a lie because I've led you in all these opportunities. I, I, I'm afraid I would fail. You can't fail if you understand election. That I overcome my sin and my flesh? Or am I satisfied being lukewarm? Again, from a scale from 1 to 10. 10 being the closest you've ever been to the Lord at some time in the past. Maybe when you came back from a mission trip or maybe when you first got saved or maybe you're a 10 now. Based on your particular 10, are you a 10 now? Probably not. Seven, six, five, three, four. Why? Because there's sin in my life that I refuse to get rid of. I'm overcome by the lust of the world and I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied with that. If you read in the book of Revelation, Seven letters to seven churches. There's always a blessing and a reward for those who overcome. How do I control my tongue, my words, my speech? Did I just let it just fly? Did I lose my temper, kill my testimony? If I'm always tearing somebody down in order to build myself up, what am I doing? We'll give an account for that. And we will either receive reward for bridling your tongue, or loss of reward for doing what our fleshly nature says. How many fruits of the Spirit are manifested in your life? Well, love, well, kind of just those people that I like. Uh, joy, well, only things go really well for me. No, that's called happiness. Happiness is based on things. Joy is based on a relationship. Uh, peace? No, I'm just worried about everything. That's why I work so hard, I struggle so hard, and patience and long-suffering, and you know what they are. How many fruits of the Spirit are clearly identified in you? Are you obedient to God's Word? When He speaks to you about something, do you immediately say, yes, Lord, I didn't see that, I was blind to that, I'm, I, I will correct that, thank you for showing me a blind spot in my life and immediately try to change? Or are we, Lord, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I tell you to do? Well, because I don't agree with you. I don't want to. It's going to cost me something. I like my sin. I like what I'm doing. I like the world to love me. So I'm going to look like the world, act like the world, be enamored with the world, and make ourselves an enemy of God? Do you long for the Lord's soon return? Well, kind of, but I'm petrified. Why? Why? The only people I know that don't want him to return are the people that think it can't get any better than this, which means we love this world more than anything, are those that are afraid to stand before him and give an account of your life. But all of that can change today. It can change right now. I mean, how does that work? Now, I just gave you six of these. You know there's a lot more in your own life, and I know there's in mine that I didn't list on here, that, that if I asked him right now, Lord, what's standing between me and a deeper relationship with you? You and I all know exactly what's standing between us and a deeper relationship with him because he continually tells us about that, and we reject him. And then we wonder why we're sixes or fives or... You ever ask the Lord seriously? Like the little bracelets that I handed out last year, kind of 80s thing. What would Jesus do? 
Lord, I don't want to, I, I want to spend all day today, just this whole day, not doing anything that you don't want me to do. So Lord, I'm going to ask you with every decision that I make, everything that I do, what would Jesus do? And then I'm going to align myself with what I believe he would do. Oh, that's just, that's just a book by Charles Sheldon. I mean, that's something that was popular in the eighties and back in the forties. I mean, we don't really care about that because really the way we view Jesus today is I call my own shots. I do my own thing and just ask him to bless me. It doesn't work that way. Let me give you two more verses here. The last thing I want for my life and for your life is to be ashamed when we stand before Christ. Now, this has nothing to do with your salvation. Nothing. This is a performance review. Standing before the beam of seat of Christ right after we've been translated, right after we've been raptured, right after we go in the presence of the Lord, right after we see him surrounded by his angels and the praise and the glory that's going on. And, and he's going to stand before us and reward us or not reward us for what we've done or not done in this life. And if you think about it, would you be excited about standing before him? Would you be embarrassed? Oh, geez. I hope I'm not behind Paul, you know? No, you may be behind some 80-year-old lady you don't even know about who spent three hours a day interceding for missionaries. You don't even know who she is. And she stood there, well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah, but you don't understand. I advanced to senior vice president in my corporation. Like that matters at this particular point in time. The last thing we want to do is be ashamed. First John chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. And now, little children, rest, abide, dwell, live in him. Be like him. This is the same word used in John 15 of the vine and the branches. Why? Why is that such a strong admonition that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming? Because the truth is really simple. If you know this is what he is like, if you know that he is righteous, if you know that his character is altruistic giving and loving and peace and mercy and sacrifice, then you also know that everyone who practices like he is, is born of him. Well, I, I believe in Jesus and Jesus is my Lord and my life is absolutely contrary to everything in the scripture. No, it doesn't work that way. That's cheap grace and easy believism. Because the day is coming when he will reward us. Look what it says here. And behold, I am coming quickly. And he doesn't say, oh, I'm going to give you eternal life, or you're going to get angel wings, or I'm building you a mansion in heaven, or there's a million different other things he could tell us about his coming. But he didn't. He wanted to tell us something that should motivate us to godly behavior, to sanctification, to living like him. And behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me. We should be like, ha! Ah. And what does that mean? To give to everyone on what basis? According to his work. According to what we have done. Let me tell you what the beam of seat judgment is going to be like. It's going to be like a, um, a man who builds a brand new 
two-story house. Saved for it for a long time, worked really hard, and he's built this house, and the house is just great. As a matter of fact, it's everything he ever wanted, and he's really proud of it. And he goes upstairs, and he's kind of looking around the bedroom, and he smells smoke. And he starts panicking. And as he starts running downstairs, he realizes this house is on fire. And so he's able to tie some sheets together and crawl out of the window. And he's laying, you know, as he hits the ground, he scoots away from the fire. And he's laying there safe and saved. And he didn't die as he watches his house burn to the ground. Imagine your emotions. I'm so thankful that I was saved from that fire. And I lost everything. Everything that I've worked for, everything that I thought is, is now gone, and now I have nothing. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like being saved, but losing reward. Now, we're going, to, we're going to take the Lord's Supper in a few minutes, and we're going to have a time of prayer. But uh, before that happens, I want to, I don't know, condition your hearts by playing you a song. And it's a song that's written by Bebo Norman, and it's a song kind of like a prayer to the Lord, asking him to, you know, just hate the way I am. I want to be different. I've got these scars in my life, so I've built up these walls, and would you break those down? And because it's only when I, I'm, it's only when I'm done with me, and it's not all about me, that you can begin working your life in me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play this song for you, and I have the lyrics up here. And after that, I'm going to ask you to just spend some time praying and asking the Lord very simply, God, is there things I will be ashamed about at the Bema Seat Judgment? Are there things that I'm holding on to that in the great scheme of things really don't matter? Listen, they won't matter if you find out tomorrow you have a brain tumor that's inoperable and your time on earth is limited. All the things that we're striving for is wiped away like that. It will matter even less when we're translated and raptured out of this world that belongs to Satan right now. And we're standing before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who gave us everything in our life of any value at all. And when we're giving an account for what he's trusted with us to be empty handed. So I'm going to play this song for you then I would ask that you spend some time in prayer. And after that, I'm going to come up here and we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. And I would love for you to recommit your vows to him, like a, a marriage ceremony. That's what it is, the marriage supper of the Lamb here, just to recommit your vows to him and make sure that to the best of your ability, whatever sin or blind spot that he reveals in your life, that you pray and ask those things to be changed. Amen?